Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's go! And it begins. Hello, Joe. How are you? Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. Living the Good. dream. Good. Yeah. yeah. Living the dream. Living the dream. We, um, the dream. we have been talking a lot about this article, uh, trying to wait until we start recording to talk about this article because uh, we have, I guess, both a lot of thoughts about this article. So let's- It's a hot take tornado type of article. So It is. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into it. Okay, I'm- so the, the you're the TLDR, but I'll intro the article. So we'll we'll ping pong it back and forth. We're really good at this. Um, so this is it's called reimagining front end web development with HTMX and HyperScript on uh, nomadic.hashnode.dev. And when we eventually do publish these things, I'll put this in the show notes, which always sounded cool to say. So all the you know we'll put the article in there. But Joe, um, tell us what it's about. All right. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's about, uh, HTMX and hyperscript, which are two things I had never heard about until the day before you sent me this article <laughs> in a different article that I was reading, but they're apparently, um, new, uh, f- you know, new language languages or like language subset. I don't really know how to categorize them. It's not a new language, although actually in the case of HT uh, or in the case of hyperscript, I guess it sort of is, um, but it's uh, it's designed to be more integrated with the HTML than it is JavaScript. It's sort of meant to be as like a replacement for JavaScript. So this article is mostly just an article building a site with HTMX and uh, and HyperScript. And um, you know, it looks like a side project site that this person is building. It doesn't look like a uh, a huge enterprise level site, but it's got some things going on, and it's not just like a to do app. So that's always nice. Um, so that's kind of the TLDR. There's like there's not a whole lot of uh, takeaways from this. It's basically just like somebody describing their experience building this uh, this site. Um, yeah, it was very pro. Um, you know, the title's reimagining front end web development, and I think the the final thoughts is like this is the hyper media mindset future when you're throwing away the overlords of React and uh, the heavy JavaScript frameworks to move into this wonderful world of um, hi- hypermedia. I don't know if that's a real term, um, but it said Actually, like, this is this is the future. Yeah, I took a class and I, th- I just remember this. I was, I was like, that word hypermedia sounds so familiar. I took a class in college called hypermedia uh, and uh, I wrote a, an article about aliens and got an A minus on it. So. Um, I have a, I have a good, I have a good, uh, good association well, with hypermedia. Um, you're well uh, positioned to talk about this. You, I you've am. got academic credential. Um, exactly. Okay. So just to like, just to, just a couple of notes, HTMX and HyperScript, we can, we'll link the docs notes in the show notes when we have them, but HTMX is like a superset of HTML. You can like add stuff on to HTML. It's a, um, you know, it's like an old school script tag that you'd put in your HTML so that you have access to it. And then yeah, HyperScript so is There's like a, a version unpackaged. on unpackaged. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it's like, a, you know, just a different type of 
web development if you're used to like webpack world and stuff. And then hyperscript is like, I'm reading through the docs. The docs, it's just going to be hot take city. I don't like any of this, um, <laughs> but the docs say for hyperscript, it just says it's a scripting language for doing front end web development, which just sounds like JavaScript. Um, and then it's like, it's designed to make it very easy to respond to events and do simple DOB manipulation uh, in code that is directly embedded on elements. I'm like, so JavaScript. And then I look and it's basically like a higher, higher level version of JavaScript where you'll say, click this button. And it says on click toggle dot red on me. And that's going to add a toggle class. It's going to toggle the class of dot red on the element as opposed to like writing an event listener and saying classless.toggle. So you've saved yeah. like 22 characters. Right. And I had kind of the same thought, which is like, it's, it's, it's trying to do a lot of the work that JavaScript is doing in, uh, in like a, you know, the, the word of the, of the moment is declarative and, or, you know, for a while has been declarative feels like it's trying to be very declarative, but I just, I wonder how, uh, it, it feels like it's pushing that sort of to a, a place where it abstracts away, like things that I, I feel like I would want to do with a language. It feels like it would make that stuff really hard. Um, but yeah, it's like I mentioned, it's closer to like a templating language than it is JavaScript. It feels like it's trying to extend a templating language, uh, to, to, to take over some of JavaScript's functionality. Like it's trying to add some JavaScript like functionality into HTML itself. Um, yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. And the, the syntax is sort of like uh, view or maybe Angular. I'm less familiar with Angular, but it's sort of like view where you're adding these like view prefixed attributes to your HTML. So it's not, mm -hmm. um, it's not React where you're just adding any prop you want. Um, it's you, they need to have these, these, uh, you know, these, these uh, hy hyperscript or I guess HTMX um, prefixes on the attributes. Well, look, uh, yeah. So hyperscript has like, you're talking about, yeah, I know what you mean. Looking at the syntax too, though, is an interesting, it looks like subroutines. I don't um, So you'll have like on and end mm -hmm. uh, to create sort of blocks, function blocks. Yeah. Um, which yeah. seems like if I think like a Fortran subroutine or something, or it's like on and then end. And then within that is a code block. Yeah, um, exactly. And then yeah, it, it's just, this is interesting. The whole thing, I don't want to like mouth code hyperscript but i failed right. to see the problem that this solves without creating like a hundred more problems which is right like learning a, basically a completely new language it isn't a subset or superset of javascript it's like it's like vastly different it's very yeah. very declarative and therefore abs like very abstract and yep. so you have to just learn a whole new thing that's the thing i i wrote down a bunch of like pros and cons because my first take on this when i first read this article was the same it was it was like i texted you i was like I'm halfway through this article and my gut reaction is, ew. Like, I just really did not <laughs> like it. I had this, like, visceral negative reaction. To it. <laughs> but at the same time, whenever I have that reaction, I'm like, okay, what's behind that reaction? Like, what am I, what, what am I seeing that's making me think that? And, and maybe it's just something unfamiliar. And, and maybe if I became more familiar with it, I would, I would, I would uh, not feel as strongly, but so I wrote down some, some, pros and cons, some things I liked about it, some things I didn't. But the the one of the main things I don't like about it is this, what you just mentioned. It's a domain-specific language. It's like another uh, domain-specific language. So it feels like a lot of the a lot of the frameworks today, you know, have their own flavor of JavaScript. They have 
it's it feels like it's mostly JavaScript, but then they do a few different things. Um, like React has, it's like mostly JavaScript, but it has a few React idiosyncrasies. Svelte is kind of the same. It has it's got a lot of JavaScript. It has a little bit more of the template language um, side of things, but it's still like you can write JavaScript in in Svelte, HTML. Uh, and hyperscript and we should kind of differentiate when we're talking about the, those two things but they both feel like it's this whole domain specific language and it doesn't feel like it's giving you a lot of uh benefit for that for the extra overhead that you have to put in to to understand this language yeah so htmx is think about their descriptive data attributes that that do other stuff so again, that's like an you know an unpackaged library that you add in, and then you can essentially write a post request to a URL by adding a data attribute to an HTML element, um, or you could write JavaScript. So the the thing that struck me is um, <clears throat> they said like this is the future. I think everybody says that, where it's like oh, I don't want, I don't want to write these. You know when you see like infomercials. And they have the beginning part where it's like in black and white and they're like, ah, and they like cut their finger or something on like yep. a dull night. Yeah. So that's what that article felt like is like, well, this onerous JavaScript that you have to write all the time, it can be just erased and you can have this like wonderful modal that can post information to a backend, update a database without ever refreshing the page or ever like doing all this horrible uh, JavaScript framework stuff. And then first off, it's inaccessible. So this like, None of the this the whole paradigm behind hyperscript is like inaccessible. It's like toggling classes on things with uh, obscure JavaScript. So just right there, we should throw it out until it becomes mature enough to handle things that are accessible. Yeah, and that's actually uh, the the only comment on here is the that's it. It's like this is uh, it's worth being aware that this is producing inaccessible UIs. That may so only I, be appropriate I, for personal projects. I read the project. toggle. I was like, cool. And then I thought yeah. this is inaccessible. And then I scrolled down. I was like, yes, thank yeah. God. Like, they, I do think the community is getting way better about accessibility in general and realizing this is definitely something we should figure out. Um, but so to back back to the, like what I was trying to get to is what problem, if there was a clear use case, then I, I you know, I'm not just saying I don't like it because I don't like it. I don't like it because I don't see the use case. So if you have, if you want just fast static websites, you don't want to ship a bunch of application JavaScript, you can do that. You know, you can ship static pages even with Next.js, right? You can ship static pages with Gatsby or whatever, and you can have uh, sophisticated JavaScript like stuff that you do with them and ship that to a very clean front end that doesn't have all this, oh, like expensive JavaScript on it. And if you want more application-heavy code, you can write React or something like that. So it's like uh, Swix was just on Syntax the other day, and he said uh, React for apps, Svelte for websites. And I thought like that was perfect. You know? I had just that the, same, him saying that on that same podcast going through my head while I was reading this. While yep. I was reading this, yes, because I uh, it was like Friday night and then I read the article on Saturday and I was like, hmm, mm -hmm. I would just use Svelte for this. Uh, if you want like a simple website that has some interactivity, but you don't want to go full application, you know, it's not data driven, then use Svelte or another thing, you know, something that could compile to like a static site. Yeah, the, as, as I was reading through this HTMX, uh, it, it kind of reminded me, or it seems like maybe it's trying to solve the same problem that a lot of the new frameworks that are cropping up are trying to solve, which is 
shipping much less JavaScript to the front end and doing more work on the back end, but more kind of like uh, data-driven interactivity work. So that's what like server components are trying to do. For example, they're trying to do keep all of the data fetching stuff as much as possible on the server side. And it kind of seems like this is trying to do that too, where it's like, rather than having a post request go to a backend where you're getting data back and then you need to update the DOM based on that data, you're just getting HTML back now from, from that post request. I so, mean, that's a good point. I didn't really think about that. Uh, yeah. So, so I think that's where they're going for, but that like, that leads into one of my other big cons, which is like, you're getting HTML back from a post request. That is nowadays, at least, I don't know, you know, how, I don't know, back in the, back in kind of the early days of the internet, maybe it was different, but, but like, it's, it's pretty expected. I think it's, at least in my experience to get JSON back from a post or a put just about anything. Um, And so if you're expecting to get uh, HTML back from a post or a put or whatever, um, that's really tightly coupling your front end to your back end, which is like, yeah, it's just, it's rubbed me really wrong. It was one of the, one of the things that I was like, this is a, feels like it's going out of the, off the beaten path and even beyond the front end off the beaten path. It's like bringing in the back end. Yeah. And I think when we, um, one thing I was thinking about going through other episodes is like trying to translate some of these concepts to a broader, like a broader audience. When we think about coupling a front end to a back end, so you have a very purpose built API that responds very specifically for your web client, like your desktop app, your, your application website. It's like a one-to-one connection. So if you wanted to then make a mobile app that used the same backend, you would have a hard time doing so. You'd have to then like reconfigure that API to do, to like return JSON or something like that. So your mobile, your actual like mobile app, iOS app or something like that could use the same backend. So like coupling one-to-one is just, it's just that it just, it just kills your flexibility for a future iteration on that same platform. So like you can't use your backend for more than one thing because it's responding very specifically to what just the website expects to do. Exactly. Yep. Um, and I guess like, it, well, yeah, like it, kind of along that same line, GraphQL is doing something, I guess I would say similar, but it's, but it's, it's responding, you know, it, it, it is abstracting where it's maybe putting a layer in front of uh, a rest endpoint too. It's, it's like another thing, except that it's also returning JSON. Universal um, return type, you know, exactly. JSON can be used anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's specifically beneficial for what the, for the use case you just described, which is you have a, you have a web client and a, a mobile client, like a native mobile client, and you can use the GraphQL endpoint for both. Yeah, I mean, just as a, a random, not a random aside, GraphQL adjacent. Where where is everybody at with GraphQL? Because there was like a, there was a GraphQL is everything movement for like a couple of years, and then I can't really put my finger on it. But it sort of feels, and this has nothing to do with this article, but <laughs> it sort of feels like there's a bit of a middle ground where people are like, ah, like REST still makes sense in some cases. Yeah. And it's not just like GraphQL rules everything around me. And I was just kind of curious, like where you're at with that. Yeah, I, I, I that's pretty much where I'm at. Like I, uh, I saw the same, the same thing happen where everyone was trying to use GraphQL for everything. And I, I remember actually one of the people we worked with who's uh, who's like a couple of levels higher than us 
was the first one who I actually heard say in response to somebody else's question, he was the first one I heard say, um, maybe GraphQL isn't a great uh, tool for this use case. Maybe REST makes more sense in this case. And that's when I was like, oh, like it's okay. It's okay to still use REST. We don't have to use GraphQL for everything, even though everyone is talking about using it for everything. Um, I also started looking at it for... Uh, for I'm just, I, the only the term that's coming to my mind is east-west communication, not because I'm super familiar. That's not a term I use all the time, but it was the term I found in the article that I looked up. It's like basically ser- a service-to-service communication. Okay, I was going to say, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because uh, I was curious how how much it was used service-to-service because it's it was sort of built for server-to-client. Uh, but I know it's possible to do it's, you know, it's just JSON. So it's like you could do service to service communication, but it sounds like it's not really used for that, uh, which is not surprising to me, but um, yeah, it does. It sounds like, it sounds like people are coming back from the sort of GraphQL is everything back to, okay, maybe rest actually is fine, uh, you know, or, or even preferable in some cases. Yeah, I guess that's, I mean, to try and draw, draw like a very dotted line back to the article. Um, it's more trying to have like a temperate view. It's just use case dependent, like anything. There's no like real great answer. So GraphQL is use case dependent. Uh, React, like all, like application famous React or JavaScript frameworks are use case dependent. And maybe there is, um, maybe there is an HTMX Use case. I think if you're trying to like, I don't know. So I think about serverless functions or something like that. So if you have like a modal uh, and you have a static website and you want to submit a modal or it's like submit a form through your modal, I wouldn't reach for uh, HTMX to like make that easier. I would reach for uh, like a a serverless function in Netlify or something like that because you can handle forms in Netlify pretty easily and you could send that thing to a serverless function. It could update your backend and respond um, with, with something and your front end could respond to that. And, and you wouldn't need to have like a big framework surrounding that either. So we've already like, it feels like a lot of the use case here is like, Hey, I don't want a bunch of heavy stuff in my front end. I need to, I need some interactivity. What do I do? I'm going to use hyperscript and HTMX. I wouldn't reach for that. I think Jamstack, you know, I think something different. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there is, I, I still like, I don't, I don't see it yet, but yeah, I mean, same here, and and I think that's a that's an interesting point about uh, serverless functions, and um, it almost feels like people are trying to make the front end more granular, but at the same time, like th- there's plenty of work going on that makes it easier to make the grand the back end more granular. Even so, even with rest with uh, rest endpoints, like it would be super easy to spin up a bunch of serverless functions or Google Cloud functions or whatever you want that are rest endpoints, but then provide like sort of an interface to another. Um, to another service on the back end. Maybe that's a, a terrible architectural decision. I'm not, I, you know, I haven't really thought that one through. Um, but it just got me thinking about like, you know, the, you, you said this, this thing about like, would you reach for HTMX? Like, no, I, I, I also would not reach for HTMX in this case, but maybe it's because I'm just like not familiar with it or at all. Um, it did seem like a great use case for this would be like a small website. Like, like talking about what Swick said, where it's yeah. like, he thinks about React for apps and Svelte for sites. Um, I'm, I like, I think that's like a catchy, a catchy thing. I also like, I've, I've done some work 
with Svelte and I really like it. And I think it's actually, it's great for apps too, like, but probably it does have a limit. It's not quite um, structured in the same way that React is. I would like to see like a really big app built in Svelte, what that would look like. But anyway, um, I think that this HTMX, if you learn it, is like, it would be really good for really small sites where you, uh, sorry, yeah, small sites, not apps. And probably not big sites, but like small sites where you're trying to do one or two things. Um, the problem is like, when does a small site turn into a big site? Probably like, you know, there's no, like, there's nothing. <laughs> and then what do you do? Because now exactly. you're using HTMX, which uh, is sponsored by JetBrains. Um, is it really? Wow. I, I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to go down that, but to scroll, I, sometimes you scroll to the bottom of, you know, a library. Or something, and you say, "Who who's behind this?" And yeah. you want to you want to you want to be aligned with the people that are behind it. And it's like yeah. JetBrains and Craft CMS, something called ComSpace, and something called Big Sky Software. Hmm. Now, humble beginnings. I'm not saying that's bad. I don't have any sponsors. No one's sponsoring me at all. So good for them. But I don't want to touch anything that JetBrains has touched, <laughs> like a ten foot pole. <laughs> so that that's just a complete aside, and is backed with zero fact, and is just a it's just a shit opinion. But I still have it. I can't help it. I see JetBrains, I'm like, nah, I'm out. I don't yeah. want to touch that. <laughs> it's like because I like had Vim. To use PHP Storm, Vim. I also well, I tried Vim. I gave Vim like a good college try of like a yeah. month and a half of doing the stupid like game that you play with Vim, and then the Vim Explorer, the console. Vim teacher thing. And I really yep. tried. And then VS code dropped at around the same time. Oh yeah. Uh, so this was maybe three years ago, four years ago, I was yep. using uh PHP storm because that was what was provided to me. And I was like, please God, get me out of here. So I was going to learn Vim and then VS code. I don't think it's when it dropped, but that's when I was exposed to it. It was like, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. Because uh, I had come from Adam and then went yep. to PHP Storm when I came to where I'm at now. And um, I really, I loved Adam back in the day. Uh, you yeah, know, it was so cool, but he never pushed updates. That poor guy, I think like is doing it out of his garage. Um, so, you know, I never really like, I never tried anything other than Adam. Uh, it's like sublime text, I think way, way yep. back in the day. But um you know, like 2015 or something, but, um, and then I was in PHP storm, which is awful. And, you know, no offense to them. I'm sure it's great for people who do like really heavy PHP work, but I wasn't doing that. Yeah. Yeah. The debugging, debugging PHP in, uh, PHP storm was really, really good. And actually VS code does it better now. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so VS code came and I was like, Vim is fucking stupid. I want to use this. Well, I I feel like, uh, I feel like VS code is like, that's their, that's their hook is like, we do it better. Like we, you, you, oh, you use PHP storm. Well, yeah, we can do that too. We do it a little bit better. Oh, you use and if we Adam. don't have it now, we're going to do Ex- it better soon. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you use Adam. Well, uh, we have Adam key bindings and we do everything else better. We're faster. Right. Like, <laughs> native types. It's of like these poor companies are just getting savaged. Like whoever, like Adam and sublime text are just getting savaged. And I know, uh, uh because they have like, I, I'm assuming just an army of people back there just pushing features that their, their release notes is, are they crazy? Yeah, they're crazy. Well, they're also like, uh, they're, they're, you know, pluggable. You can just get, they have all these extensions. VS Code has, you can build an extension yourself. And I haven't done it myself, but I've heard it's really easy to build uh, VS Code extensions. So um, that seems like it would also uh, be really beneficial to a thriving community. Um, 
that, but yeah, that was the thing that got me to move, move over to VS code. Cause I was using Atom. I had some friends using VS code and they were like, ah, oh, it's really fast. It's got this integrated terminal. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, ah, oh, but I'm so, I'm, I just like the Atom key bindings. And I mean, now I'm like, okay, whatever. But, uh, but, <laughs> but at the time they're like, oh, it's got this Atom key binding. And I'm like sold. And then from, I just never looked back. Yeah. Until I until I started using them, and then you said I want to make it worse, and that you yeah, know, get all the. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want. I had one thought about about Vim. We've gotten way off tra- off track, so we'll get back. But the my one thought about Vim, which is, uh, it feels sometimes like a uh, like it's one of those shows where you're like you just got to hang in there for like the first four episodes, and the, and right. it's it really yeah. good. At, and I really don't like when people say that. And uh, yeah, I I. That's every AMC drama that's ever been made. It's, yep. it's just like, you really just got to lean into it. Like Better Call Saul or something like that. You're like, yeah. you just watch. need the first 22 episodes. Yeah, just watch like three seasons <laughs> and then you get a fourth season. It's really good. It's like, what other thing in your life do you just invest like five hours in before it returns <laughs> literally anything to you? It's like, and Vim is that. And actually Vim is, the investment of Vim is super high. It is it's so really high. high. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to give months of my productivity away or maybe like a month, right? Maybe I don't actually know when you become productive in Vim is, do you get like a, like a uh, robe or something? Do they give yeah. you like a, well, I, I mean, I did. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Got there's it. like a got, club room. Yeah. yeah. It's got my monogrammed initials on it. Yep. Like a sword. Um, <laughs> but I just imagine there's like a day when it becomes when you go like, oh, I can, I'm effective again. Um, yeah. But that, that uh, valley of I'm, I can do what I do now. And then. I lose it and then I come back on the other side. Yep. It's so steep for me. It's that, steep. that, that cost, I just don't see the potential return. Is it, is it like a 20 year return? Cause you're not going to get carpal tunnel or something like that. Is that what it is? I'm or probably going to get carpal tunnel faster to be honest. That's I was just how, thinking that's, that, right? That's how like, I feel. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so what is, what, now we're fucking in it. I know. What I, is and I point? don't want to be in it. What is the point? I don't understand. <laughs> we should man. name I, this pod. We still haven't really set, decided on a name. We should name it Vimcast uh, <laughs> 2022. So it'll HTMX get, gets us to Vimcast. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I can't, I can't defend. I can't defend my, my decision for Vim. I just, uh, you know, okay. I'll say one thing and then, and then it'll stop. Cause I really, I don't like talking about it. Um, I don't want to be one of those people, but I, I mentioned this to you before. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, you, you play, you, you're a gamer, you play video games and you, you have like one of the, um, you know, whatever ps5 or like a xbox controller it's like a a controller it's got a lot of buttons and like if you're not used to it like the first time you hold one of those controllers you're like where do all my fingers go how do i remember all the buttons and like right but when you get used to it you feel super plugged in and you're just kind of like it's all muscle memory and it's all just like you're you the the time it takes from you to have a thought about oh i want to do this thing in that game to executing that thing is just uh, it's like a microsecond and that's how Vim feels to me. It's like a, it's like a video game controller, where I know what all my all the all the buttons do, uh, and I don't. And that's I that's the closest thing that I can. It's this you feel this connection with the with the with the thing. I don't know. It well, sounds- no, you said this to me before, and it actually is a compelling argument. Um, so you know, I want to talk shit about Vim, but that is a compelling argument. That's a really well made argument. And then my question back is, did you not feel that way? when you were really plugged in with VS code, like when I have my series of what I call claws, which is the the shapes of my hand that have me like <laughs> memorized, like super keyboard shortcut systems yep. that do a bunch of stuff. 
And I feel as though like I've got a pretty decent mastery over what I want to do in VS Code. And I imagine you probably had the same. So I'm just wondering like, what is it that, is it that markedly different? Um, it's, I guess, so I have the same, I, you know, I had the same thing where it's like your claws, your, your sort of like muscle claws, your muscle memory claws. Um, it's like that, but like you, it, but it sort of opens up the field much more because every single button you can use it for anything you want. Like every single button on the keyboard, you could define it. That's sort of, uh, like a good a pro and a con because at the beginning it makes it harder to learn. Um, but as you sort of get used to it, you can really customize it to to however you want. It's kind of like infinitely customizable. So you don't have to have these little, your, hand, your hands don't have to be claws because you can just press R or whatever. You know, you just press like a single button. And if you're in the right mode, or like you know, there's a leader key in Vim. So you press my leader spacebar. So if I press like spacebar, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example. So like spacebar shift D will, will, uh, go to definition. I have that set up to like go to definition. So if I go, uh, if my cursor is on a function and I hit spacebar shift D, it'll jump to like that file. If it's a local file or in node is modules. That, is or that whatever. VS code that's doing that though? Or is that? No, Vim? It's, it's Vim. Yeah. And there's probably, so I, I, I know there's a VS code. I mean, there probably is it like, that's not like hard to do in VS code. I'm sure you can do it in VS code too, but. So you're completely out of that environment though. You're not like using Vim bindings inside of. No, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm totally in Vim. Yeah. And you don't, there's, you don't miss any of the extensions or high, syntax highlighting or anything that you get from VS code. No, cause you can get a lot of that stuff uh, in Vim too. Like I, um, I started with just no Vim RC. There's like a, there's like a profile yeah. manager. Yeah. So I started with, with nothing and like built it up over time, but I'm trying to keep it pretty minimal, but I've added a few, uh, plugins that are necessary for me to kind of get back to that. I say back, see, I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into Vim, but it's, it's, uh, it's that, you know, things like, um, the fuzzy file finder. So you probably use like command P yeah. maybe to yeah, find files all the time. Yeah. So, F, um, FCF there's like FCF is the, is the fuzzy file finder and it integrates with Vim in the same way. So I hit, uh, control P instead and I get the same, menu like file finder menu um okay so that yeah i've 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 found enough of the things that i was using in vs code in vim that i i I don't miss it anymore and there were actually like two well go ahead sorry you're gonna say i was just gonna say there's there is a part of me that is compelled by your arguments (laughs) and Part of it is that I've seen people work in Vim and it is just, there's like a, it's impressive. Like That's what did it for code, me. When you pair code, there's a person that we both work with. Um, and I have like, when I first got there, I remember like pair coding with this person. I was like, holy shit, he's a wizard. Like there was, <laughs> it was just wild to watch. And that there is like a level of hacker. Maybe remember hacker man, uh, like the hacker man gif when he's got the fingers and he's like doing nothing. And somebody's typing a million letters. It looks like that. And there is, a, there's something about that that is alluring where it feels like there's a level of mastery uh, over the craft or over the, like you said, ecosystem. Cause I yep. know the feeling, you know, the, the game controller is like a really great example because that is a very visceral uh, process to me. Like I know you almost like meld with it when you, grew, yeah. cause you've been doing it for years. Like I've been playing Xbox since I was, I don't know, 10 or like 11. So that controller feels the same as it has for like 30 or 20 years and you touch it and you're like, I'm in. And then you yep. know exactly what to do with it. Uh, so if that is possible in, uh, in a 
in Vim, then there is something alluring about that. Yep. I, so I don't know, I, man. I don't know. I, I'm not going to try and talk you into it. I don't ever want to try and talk anybody into Vim because that's- I want the uh, robe. I want the you, robe. Well, that's that's what got me uh, that got me excited about it. Um, uh, I, so, I, oh, the thing I was going to say, and then this is this is it, I swear. No more Vim. Uh, it was the, I, I, it, there were sort of two phases with Vim. There, the first phase was where I learned the, the in-file keyboard shortcuts. So like, you don't have to go fully into Vim. You just, like I was using VS Code for it. I just got the Vim key bindings and I was using those all the time. Um, but I still had this like uh, escape hatch where I could still use command P to do the fuzzy file finder. And I could still use all the nice things about VS Code. Um, it's just that at the time I was like learning all the the in file keyboard navigation shortcuts. So like whatever, go to line and jump lines and stuff like that. Um, the second phase was when I figured out how to, or when I, again, it was like a learning process. So I had to I had sort of sit down and like take the time. And I, I did it a lot with like side projects and things like that. But I took the time to get into the file navigation part of them. And it's a kind of a totally different, they, they really are like two different things. Um, they obviously use the same keyboard uh, commands or, you know, like similar keyboard commands, but the mental model is just different when you're thinking about navigating files. And it was the file navigation that I needed to beef up my my vimrc a little bit and my plugins to get that stuff well i appreciate this aside this is on me you just for the record because i think it means something to you you did not bring vim up i brought vim <laughs> up um okay but i want to get back to the article because yeah. we're at the we're sort of at the limit of the time for the article yep and the my final take uh on this is look go look at hyperscript and htmx yourself and then you'll likely feel like I do, which is this is useless. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, just go look <laughs> at them. Reading hyperscript, hyperscript like really rubs me the wrong way. I, it's um, yeah. I need to like I need to not have a visceral reaction to things when I see them like this because it's not useful as like yeah. a technical as a technologist to say like ew gross. Um, but well, learning I, I, a new language is just like a huge bummer to do basically the exact same thing you could do in JavaScript. So like how much time does it actually save you? Uh, I would wager uh, none. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder if, so I, I had, uh, I, I have a couple of thoughts about that, but like um, I wonder, my first thought about this was hyperscript, the language, it looks very Python based. It's like, you know, it uses yeah. white space, but it's also got this weird thing where you can um, inline everything. You can just like have what would normally be on six lines be on one line. And it, it to me, that reads super weird because I'm like, it reads like a, like an English sentence and uh, programming is not writing in English. And to me, it's like, you're, it's, it, I don't know. It's just, um, yeah, that, that just struck me as, um, strange, but also like I don't write a ton of Python, and I wonder if I did, if I was, for example, writing a Django app, which is what this guy who's writing this article is doing. He's writing something in Django. I would wonder if if I would like this more because it's yeah, it's like front end for backenders, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 the the fact that the language looks a lot like Python, the fact that HyperScript looks a lot like Python, and he's writing Python on the back end feels like it might be. And Django is also, I think like you're writing a lot of templated HTML and it sort of seems like it fits with that, uh, that mental model more. Yeah. I, th I think a little bit about, um, our last article about the right abstractions though. So yeah, 
this to me feels exactly the wrong abstraction uh, for the following reasons. If you're talking, if you're taking that article as gospel, which is like provide escape hatches for people and, and help them do the right thing that they already know how to do. Don't make it harder on them to do the things that they already know how to do. Make it easier to, th- to do the things that they need to do and then give them the low level uh, abstraction, give them the lowest level abstraction escape hatch so that they can like search for it or affect it. So here's why this is a bummer. Um, one is if you just want to like do a click handler, you need to know a bunch of new stuff. Now you could still write JavaScript, but we're saying like if we're in a hyperscript world and you want to add a click handler on a button, if you're not going to do what, I guess you could already do what you need to do. So maybe that is, you don't need to write hyperscript on anything. So maybe I just convinced myself against that. But <laughs> to do this stuff that you already know how to do, you need to learn a net new language. It also doesn't provide you a good way to do things the right way. So for instance, if you have a button, um, you're saying like, you know, on, it literally is written like on click, put clicked into this. And it's written like that. But if you're making something that's accessible, you need click handlers and key handlers. Like you can't, not everything's a click and you need a, you need different ways to handle these things. Um, so, but you can only write it in line as one thing. So you're saying on a click, do this. Uh, so then you'd need to like go off and write one of those little subroutines and then reference it here. And then now you have some indirection where um, you're like on click, do this other thing where you can, you know, it, it just feels like it's making it more complicated to do the thing right that you want to do. So, yeah. and then the other part is, you know, if you're working in hyperscript, you require this corpus of hyperscript blog posts and articles mm-hmm. to, to work in this thing, which, which don't exist. However, I did convince myself out of something that there is the, always the escape hatch of just writing JavaScript. So, um, but it doesn't, it, it's, it feels like a, like a cheap, you know, it's not actually escaping out of hyperscript. Hyperscript isn't giving you like a way out. It's just, just don't use it. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with, with that. Uh, the, the level of, abs- of abstraction is a good point that it's, Thinking of the article we read last week, it's it does. It feels like it's the wrong level of abstraction. Uh, but what do you think, listener? You use HyperScript and <laughs> HTMX all the time? Tell if us. If you do smash that subscribe button, comment <laughs> comment on our uh, – send, send me an email. <laughs> I don't have anything you can comment on. Uh, oh, man. Okay, so we want to wrap up with this. We're done with the article. Let's do it. Uh, okay. Uh, we need like a sound effect for yeah. finish. Sound effect. Article. Oh, I got one right here. Oh, uh, hit, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. <laughs> that means yep, it's that's time it. for. <laughs> uh, what are you learning? That's uh, what are you learning? Right. I almost had good grief. Uh, I don't really have gripes. Things are going well. So, uh, what am I learning this week? Let's see. Uh, I I'll be honest. I stopped learning on Tuesday. And I took a break from learning because <laughs> my, my brain was completely fried and I don't remember at all what I was doing. And then today I picked it back up and I'm learning um, tree operations Oh, um, as part of like lead coding. Like, mm, like uh, binary working. tree operations? Yeah, binary uh-huh. tree operations. Um, and that's not very exciting. 
and is only done to get through arbitrarily difficult coding questions. That is true. That is true. Yeah. I, I feel the same way about those types of interview questions is like, it, yeah, it's there's limited use, I think, for a company to know that you can implement some type of uh, data structure because like, well, whatever, we don't have to get, we don't have to get no, too I, far. Into I, yeah. I mean, the way that I was like trying to make it interesting is like, how do I make this sort of like put it in a front end context of just like mm. in general, working with a tree like structure. So then the way that I was, the way that I started messing around was like, how would you rewrite um, query selector? Mm, uh, mm-hmm. like the, dom, mm-hmm. the dom is a tree. Yeah, you know, starts at the root node, and then it has many branches. So, like, how would you implement the document query selector? Um, and like that involves working with a tree. So I was just yeah. like, how can I make this even remotely interesting to me? So it's not just terribly boring, like invert a red green or red black tree, whatever the dumb fucking questions that they always ask. So that was my way. So I wrote uh, document query selector and document query selector all. And uh, nice. did like a, I wrote some tests to return the same thing, and then wrote it, and then they passed, and I felt good about myself. Nice, that's cool. Yeah. That's that's fun. Uh, those are those are kind of what I tend to go to if I'm learning a new language. Like if I'm, I, I've been writing Go lately, not professionally. I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, but like been been trying to just just like learn more about Go. It's a really interesting language to me, like the, the, the kind of the things that it's built for. And so I want to know more about it. That's one of the things I tend to do is like, I'll take some of these leak code exercises and be like, okay, let me make a doubly linked list and reverse it yeah. and see like, you know, cause I think that's actually like what those types of things are good for is learning the basics of a language and learning how to implement some of the kind of primitive structures in a language. Yeah, that's pretty cool. How is it? Uh, how is it going with Go? Give me like the one minute. Uh, you've been working with it a little longer. How are yeah. you feeling about it? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I don't have any real goals with it, but uh, but I like it the more I use it. You know, at first I was a little bit kind of um, put off. Uh, somebody that we work with actually is like very much does not like it because it's so it doesn't have any built in uh, like it, uh, built in array methods or anything like that. You have to do it's just all for loops. Um, but I guess that's sort of a, I don't know, when it, when I got over that and when I kind of embraced that idea that it's going to be, that's how it is, then uh, you kind of see what some interesting things about it. The concurrency model is like the real highlight of the language, I think, because they use Go routines, which are able to, it's like you just have a much, much more like scalable uh parallelism or concurrency they like they like talk a lot about kind of the the difference between concurrency and parallelism um so i guess the concurrency is more scalable technically um because you're not limited to like the number of threads the number of cores on your machine they they have these go routines are able to uh they're like a much more lighter weight version but they're able to do concurrent work uh and and kind of pass it off to each other so that you don't need to take a whole thread while you're doing this concurrent work. Yeah. I remember you talking about that. And I, um, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what, what are you learning? Uh, I was trying to think of what I was learning too. Cause like, you know, it's like when you learn, it's kind of funny to have a weekly segment called what are you learning? Because the assumption is that you're always going to be learning something different every week. I know we got to get on our shit, Joe. We gotta- <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how long this, uh, this segment lasts so far. So we might good. just gripe but, uh, every yeah. episode from here yeah. on out. Just all good grief. I know. Um, the the thing that uh, that I landed on though is I I built a little uh, 
I decided to build Tetris this week. I was like, oh, that'll be fun. I found like, oh, a, that's cool. Yeah, I found I found this YouTube video that's like a Tetris. It's actually, uh, it's weirdly, it's uh, the title is like build Tetris ASMR. And I was like, why is it? Why is it ASMR related? But so it's this person who's not talking. They're just typing and clicking their mouse and building Tetris for an hour. And like you just hear their their clicks and stuff. And uh, I don't have ASMR personally, but like I could see how it would be uh, appealing to somebody who that like, you know, triggers this this nice sensation in their brain. Um, Anyway, so I I found this video and I, I started watching it and I was like, Oh, I wonder if I could build Tetris in an hour from, from scratch. And so I just, yeah, I just kind of like started doing it. I was like, yeah, okay. I could like, it's fun. I don't know that like game development is, was kind of my like intro into programming and I, I don't do much of it. Um, I never did anything heavy duty, but it's always the thing I'm, I guess, most drawn to because, um, uh, it's fun to make things that you can like play with, um, and that are kind of more like, uh, physics based or, or whatever that I, I, I tend to like that kind of stuff. So anyway, that, that was, that was what I did this week. I built, built a little, little Tetris clone. That is really cool. Uh, I was just thinking, how would I even do that? Um, what did you, I, what are you using? Um, isn't the canvas. Have you used, have you worked with like the HTML canvas? Yeah. Much? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a canvas. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just kind of like set up some, it's actually really easy because Tetris is not physics based. It's it's just kind of constant time. It'll get mm-hmm. faster over time, but it's like you just set up a loop. So request animation loop will sixty frames a second will will um or you you hope it's sixty. You can like plan for it to to like not be, but ideally it's going to be around sixty frames per second. So you kick off a loop, uh, a render loop, and kind of the most basic game engine is like a loop that will. Uh, update the things in your world and then render those things. So it's got like mm-hmm. a, an update and a render uh, cycle that happens every loop. And of course it gets much more complex from there, but like for Tetris, you'd basically in your update loop uh, every half a second or however, however long you want it to be between when each piece is falling, um, you have it update and then you have it render after it updates. Um, and it actually renders more quickly because if you, move left or right you want that to render more often than right than how quickly the pieces are falling down cool but, um yeah and then you just kind of define your your like boundaries so your wall and your floor and then um you start getting into like oh if there's pieces on the ground then you have to have collisions between the piece that's falling and the pieces that are on the ground and so it's mm-hmm. it sort of becomes this like variable floor um uh, that's made up of these of these tiles oh that's cool yeah, yeah it's fun it's fun that is cool um, all right, that's good learning. So now we're gonna um, sail away in the good news cruise, and we need the sound effect to go. Boom. I know. What did we do? Oh, that's right, a foghorn. That was great. Foghorn. We should just record you doing that, and then we'll play. We it. just they, we should just mouth record sound effects. I love uh, it. You know, people love acapella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I laughed at myself when I said I couldn't even <laughs> say it with a straight face. No one likes acapella. Uh, Okay, so Joe, do you have any good news? This week? Uh, I, 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 uh, I don't have any specifically good news, but I went on a cruise, so I think that counts. No uh, shit, I, you went on a cruise? I, well, I went on a, a ferry. So I, uh, ah, nice. So I, nice. My, the, we went to um, Provincetown on the ferry, took the Provincetown ferry, and it was, a, it was a good news cruise. That was a fun trip and a fun cruise. 
um, we, my little guy put on his Superman outfit and everybody on the, and the, uh, uh, all the other passengers on the ferry were loving it. I think they were loving it. There might've been a, one or two who are, who are giving us some side eye, but, uh, most people seem they to be loving jump it. off the fucking ferry. If you're, yeah. if you're like yeah. unhappy with a kid that's having an awesome time, just oh, throw man. yourself off a ferry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ferries are also just an awesome way to travel in general. Like I feel like boat travel is like the like upper upper limit of comfort travel. It's just so yeah. nice. Well, at least when the weather's nice and stuff. I, I'm a train guy myself, but uh, I do love trains a good are great boat. too. I'm not saying yeah. boats are like. <laughs> I just think that it's really great. I said upper tier, you know, like upper, upper level. It's like yep. uh, luxury trains. Um, yeah, uh, you know boats of some kind not like rinky dink boats but like big ferries you know with like yeah. a bar on board um plane travel sucks at the way bottom yeah as an update to your your good news from last week you involved um you included a reference to galactic empire a uh, oh yeah a band that does hardcore covers of star wars music and i used that because my lifting partner and i were were uh, we compete in powerlifting. No one cares, but I'll say it anyways. So my good <laughs> news is we were, we put on that song for Galactic Empire because we had the gym to ourselves and we were testing squats. Yeah. And it it wasn't just that song. So that song was great, the the theme song. It kept playing. And they were just like one after the other. Awesome. Yeah. And then it and then it hit dueling fates. Uh, the, the galactic empire version of, of dueling fates, which if from episode one, phantom menace, when Obi-Wan Kenobi oh, fights that's Darth that from, Maul, that's from. you know, where it's like, oh, you know, it's just yeah. the most epic song. And they did such a, just an amazing version of it. And that was playing when I hit uh, a new squat PR and it was That's just this amazing. like epic moment. Cause we had it on so outrageously loud in the gym <laughs> and we were just like losing our shit. It's like two grown men. We we're like 34, or 35 years old, both loved, both loved the star Wars franchise. And just when it came on, we absolutely lost our shit. So that was my good news is hit a squat PR. No one cares, but it's good news for me. And we, we were like in, absolutely inspired by galactic empire. That is so great. I am so glad that I could, uh, that I could bring that into your life. Holy um, shit, it's awesome. It's yeah. so awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, that's my good news then. That's great. All right, well, we kept it a tight 50 minutes this time. Tight. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked up and saw, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Next time, it'll be probably 50 minutes if I'm Probably honest. 50 minutes. Yeah, but let's, probably yeah. We'll, we'll try and cut we'll, it down. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe keep the Vim talk to a minimum next time. My bad. If we hadn't yeah. talked about Vim, it would have been like 16 minutes. But Type 42. Yeah. Type 42. Uh, um, but okay. Well, I'll see you next week, Joe. And, sounds good. Um, go check out Hyperscript, everybody. Yeah. What's a good... How can we like put a bow on that? <laughs> <laughs>